Hey, all right, so we're back. Let me fix the microphone a little bit here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're back with our... Post-baby, non-baby. Post-baby, non-baby episode. No talking about the, the, the child. Yeah, it's a serious content only. We, we have serious content. We, had, we have enough of the child in our non-content uh, uh, life, right? So when we're creating content, we're not going to have the child for, for, for now. Today, no. This time. Um, so yeah, uh, welcome back. So what are we talking about today? Talking about today, I, I, I guess, um, well, it's one thing that I, I actually wanted to talk about. Well, that's our wealthy Los Feliz studio is actually next to the, this big, almost highway road. Yeah, it's like a street highway, essentially. Anyway, it's all right. So you're going to be interrupted with, uh, you know... Um, oh, now cops. No. Cops and... Yeah, I think actually it might be oh. fire department. Oh, excuse me? Because <laughs> we have a fire department just around the corner here. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, we're going to talk about something that I've actually wanted to uh, discuss for a bit, but I, I think it's a good if it's a good time now because I've been writing um, uh, about a topic that's related to this. Um, I mean, uh, to, to related to this to the growth of these kinds of um, um, you know, everyone like wonders when did the Soviet Union collapse? Like, when was the beginning of the end? I mean, you can put it the point in different. Uh, you can you can put like the pin in different parts, you know, of 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 the, of the short Soviet uh, Union's history, right? Well, officially, it's uh, something like December '91. Yes, but it's actually collapsed way before. So, or like, so some people blame Gorbachev for instituting sort of the the reforms and sort yeah, of yeah, Glasnost. So some people say it's like mid '80s it started because of Gorbachev because he came to power in I think '85 or yeah. something like that around yeah. that. I mean, stru- structurally, I guess they would be correct to pin it on Gorbachev just yeah. in terms of what he. Yes, How exactly. Structurally, I mean, that was the unraveling, the final unraveling. But you know, but you know, we and we've talked about this in other episodes. You know, we we, we actually um, we think uh, that it it's ha- it happened actually much earlier. And there's like a, a, a number of events or a number of you know sort of structural things that happened. You know, partially with you know with the, the this probably st- the rise of like st- Stalin's rise to power and his control of um, of of the country and like of the of the, of the and the, the basically the drowning of the of the of the initial revolution and and the, and the murder of just about everyone else who was involved uh, murder of OG revolutionaries yes and 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 the stifling of any kind of revolutionary culture or any kind of revolutionary ethos that wasn't connected to some kind of you know uh, industrial, uh, giant industrial projects. You yeah, know, um, but also like then in short, I just want to like to to give a timeline. Um, basically, our take, and it's not like it's not super original. People did write about that even back in the day that it actually was the beginning of the end, starting late twenties, mm-hmm. so nineteen thirty for sure. It and it sort of it's not that surprising if you think so. Lenin died in in twenty four. Mm-hmm. Well, give it yeah. <laughs> six more years. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just it was it was, it was on some level it was the, the strengthening of the Soviet Union, right? Because I mean, it was the the consolidation of its power, and then of course, you know, uh, and then after World War II, it's the you know more consolidation of power because the former territories that got kind of sliced away from the sort Russian of, but Empire. I'm talking, got you know, some kind of more cultural, spiritual way rather than just like a pure geographical, I totally, yeah, I don't know, exactly. geopolitical kind of thing. Exactly. Which also, from the American perspective, it seemed so much stronger yeah. than it ever. It never been that formidable exactly. as I would. Like American Cold War is like sad it was, and people believed it. I think to some degree because you have a you know a, a rapidly this a rapidly industrializing country. Mm-hmm. It's growing. It's sort of it's 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 helping other other um, sort of. Uh, um, other revolutionary movements around around the world, even though it was you know you know in a, in a, a pretty small scale. It was, anyway, so it, it it looked like outwardly the Soviet Union was strong, 
it was growing. It was uh, backing other revolutionary movements. It was um, had like a whole coalition of, sort of countries uh, uh, that it was in charge of, you know, or that it was at the head of, at the helm of, um, and. Um, but but internally internally you know I don't know if it, you know like on some kind of like um, cultural um, level you know there was some problems and they began, and, and they manifested themselves in, in different ways um, and one of that's one of the things that we want to talk about is one of these manifestations which started to take place around the sixties and really and really I think took off in the seventies um, was this kind of turn towards um, um, alternative identities that people had in the Soviet Union. Uh, so people started turning away from sort of there's just a kind of a, a mainstream sort of Soviet culture and started exploring other um, identities that were forbidden, you know, uh, things like Russian Orthodoxy, things like the various nationalisms in the various republics um, and Zionism and uh, Judaism and all these things. Um, I mean, the, the way that I got to this topic is, you know, I've been writing uh, for the past, I don't know, year or so about... Um, you know, the, the Jewish migration out of the Soviet Union um, that really started taking off in the 1970s and, and 1980s, uh, you know, a process in which my, my, me and my family, we, we, we took part, you know, we left the Soviet Union in 1989. Um, and, you know, that process is pretty interesting because it involves all sorts of, um, all sorts of influences. You know, it has exter an external dimension. You know, it has, for instance, Israel, um, 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 saw the agitation uh, among Soviet Jews as a very important project to this, to a very important part of the Zionist project. Um, from its earliest days, you know, Zionist leadership saw Soviet Jews as like a really important um, demographic weapon that could be used against Palestinians. So they wanted to bring all the Soviet Jews. You know, estimates there were estimated to be anywhere between two and five million Soviet Jews, Soviet, Soviet so Jews living in the Soviet Union. So they were even starting like a few years after the founding of the state. Um, the Zionist leadership was like, we need to figure out how to get these Jews over to Israel. Uh, but it wasn't just right as a, it's not just that they wanted bodies um, as a buffer or whatever against Palestinians, but it also, they wanted kind of like wider Jews, yes. which is like a whole there's other a, component. No, yeah, there's, it's a really weird Very thing. Very racist. Yeah, there's a weird thing. So on the one hand, they wanted as many Jews in Israel as possible. Um, and so, so... Part of this sort of pro part of the, this project to, to stuff Israel with as many Jewish bodies as possible was also bringing in uh, Jews from the Middle East, um, and that they that was successfully kind of carried out in in in, in the early fifties. But at the same time, um, all these Middle Eastern Jews gave the kind of the the European and white um, Zionist leadership. Um, a cause for concern because they didn't want to Arab, you know, make Israel an Arab state. They wanted it to be a European state. They wanted it to be a white state. So they were, so they wanted to bring in not just the Arab Jews, uh, Jews from the Middle East. Well, but, they would never use that term, yes, Arab Jew. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is that? Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, exactly. What is that? Exactly. Um, Jews from the Middle East, they wanted to bring in, you know, white Jews, European Jews from the Soviet Union. And so as a way of sort of diluting the Arab influence that's, that was, uh, that they, that was, I don't know, uh, had taken root in, in Israel, you know? So, 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 but anyway, the Soviet Jews were kind of seen as central to the Zionist project um, and bringing them over to Israel. And so from the, from the early 50s, when the, the Israel established this special um, covert intelligence agency, essentially, that was called Nativ, uh, or the Liaison Bureau, and its job was to, um, it was kind of had a long-term goal, which was to start to... Um, 
agitate among the secular Jews in the Soviet Union, Jews for, for by and large just Soviet citizens. Yeah, but in, you know in, when you say the secular, like secular Jews, everyone was kind of exactly, secular. Yes. So I think it just for, for those who don't know, it's not like some Jews in Soviet Union identified themselves as secular as, as it yes. happens like in the West. Some yes. people say I'm a secular Jew. No, everyone was just clearly exactly. secular. Jews were completely were, integrated. Yeah, just yeah. Soviet. Humble, 100% integrated into, the, into Soviet society. And, you know, even though there were some like, you know, again, there was some um, some discrimination. Obviously, anti-Semitism existed and there was some unofficial ex- discrimination based on ethnicity, yeah. uh, based on the kind of, you know, some some universities that it was harder to get into some jobs that were kind of closed off to you. Uh, but for the for by and large, you know, Jews saw themselves as just Soviet people, they just happened to have a Jewish yeah. identity and it was fairly vague for a lot of them. Yeah, but actually just as a, it was a good ground to like, as you say, to agitate and to bring kind of, to turn whatever Soviet Jews into sort of Jewish nationalists because it, it truly was schizophrenic now thinking about it, obviously I never experienced it, but that on the one hand, so no one has any religion, Jews do not, they have nothing really to do with Judaism or know anything about it, and yet they are discriminated against because they're Jews. So I think it was quite confusing for a lot of people what what, what the thing is a Jew yes. if, if there's nothing that comes with it. Like necessarily a lot of people who were even discriminated against because of those, like it's called Piata Grafa. There was like actually um, in your passport, in your Soviet passport, um, it used, there's to be a line for your ethnicity, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone you, had it. Everyone yeah. had it. You can be Russian, Armenian, whatever, Kalmyk, and a Jew. And so if you're Jew, you're, you are kind of discriminated against, and yet you actually potentially might know nothing about what it means. And it's also very strange because all the other ethnicities had a kind of um, a physical like polity, a physical, um, you know, territory to which they were connected, like a republic, you know, like you, you, you if you're Kalmyk, you had a Kalmyk republic. Public, That's right? true, yeah. yeah. And if you were Ukrainian, you had, you know, Ukraine. And if you were Armenian, you had Armenia. So you had um, actual physical territories. You might not live there. You might have not even lived there for, you know, it could be a couple of generations. You could be a Moscow Armenian and you aren't from Armenia. And you could be, you know, maybe identify as much with your sort of Soviet culture as, you know, even maybe more so than, than sort of Armenian culture. But you had an Armenian like it actually made sense, right? But if you, because you, there was an actual, you know, kind of nation territory that you belong to, whereas Jews, you know, didn't have that. And and no, there was the there was Birbijan that was like yeah. basically. <laughs> it's like China, basically. It was a total Stalin Stalin's trolling of of the sort of 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 the Jews. I mean, it was like a kind of almost like a joke because there's just no Jews would ever go there because it has nothing to do with Jewish history, Jewish identity. It's, really bizarre, it's like you know yeah. Jews. Soviet Jews, for, by, by and large, um, um, originate sort of in the in, Western, Ru- whatever, in Western, Western Russia. Russian there's, Empire. There's like there's Georgian Jews. They're also they're they're also um, they're also sort of the the you know the mountain Jews. So there are small smaller Jewish communities that are in the Caucasus, right? But like the, most Jews are from you know Poland, Belarus, Ukraine. I mean this is where yeah. the, the the pale of settlement. So to put a to put a Jewish homeland in the far east, basically on the opposite side uh, of the you know this giant. Soviet Union in the Far East next to Mongolia and um, is you know it's a joke and so so if, and I and, I, and no one really took it seriously you know um, and so I remember my dad would told me that he was he got curious about you know sort of y- Yiddish and Jewish culture and he because there was an official magazine that you could subscribe to a Yiddish magazine but it came from it came from Birbijan so you could get it in Leningrad yeah he could you order it, it comes by mail I think yeah 
Well, I mean, it's an official state-sponsored, um, you know, cultural institution, Jewish cultural institution. You know, just like you would have a Ukrainian magazine. That but you from Berbijan. From Berbijan, and he said he he got a few issues and he stopped subscribing because it wasn't it didn't seem that interesting to him. But he could read Yiddish. I mean, I just I think he was maybe curious about it. Sure. Yeah, maybe there was actually I actually don't know. Maybe there was some. Maybe there was a mixed. But there was, a, but there was some. So there was some state-sponsored Yiddish culture, but there was in Birbijan. Uh, basically, generation of our parents, which is like, kind of what they actually born in 1951. Yeah. They know only like a few words of Yiddish. Yes, that's it. The culture definitely was killed. Yeah, it was and killed, their yeah. parents, so yeah. our grandparents actually, mine definitely spoke Yiddish fluently. Yeah. And uh, so I think so. My grandparents, yours. my grandparents, grandparents spoke Yiddish. That's what I mean. Yeah. But parents know nothing. My great grandmother was. Of her first language. I mean, she might. She didn't even know how to read Russian. Um, she knew knew some Russian, but my mom was always telling how, uh, telling me how she taught her grandmother how to read and I guess write in Russian. But she, but so Yiddish was her first language, I think, and probably she, maybe she knew Ukrainian too. I, I imagine um, because yeah. they're from there. But yeah, so there was this there was a schizophrenic thing where Jews were completely integrated. There were, um, you know, the sort of Yiddish Jewish religious culture all, because it's all intertwined. It was 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 killed, like you know, a lot of other basically all, all religious culture was basically killed, but not totally eradicated. And that that would come back to haunt the Soviet Union um, very quickly, actually. So Israel was smartly um, thought that they could activate. A kind of a, a reawaken a Jewish identity, a, a sense of a Jewish identity, and a sense of Jewish nationalism um, among Soviet Jews, and they instituted a, a program, a pretty effective one, starting in the 1950s, where they just basically flooded um, the, the Soviet Union with you know basic kinds of literature and pro, you know, propaganda, but like you know pamphlets, um, books. Um, uh, there would actually be some. There actually was a radio program, Voice of Israel, that we beamed in. I think, um, but but for the most in, part, in Russian. Yeah, yeah, in Russian. But for the most part, it was just you know like, you know, mag magazines, novels. I mean, even basic things like calendars with you know a Hebrew calendar with you know pictures of smiling, happy Jews living in Israel. You know, I mean, it was like it was like a subversive thing because. Because people would see it, people would look at this thing, and they'd be like, "Wait, they're like Jews, just like me, living in this kind of glorious um, country, you know." And they all look very happy, and they're proud to be, and Jews. they're proud to be Jews, and they have their own language, and they have their own culture, and like, they're not like they're not sort of conflicted about their identity like we are. And so, um, it's always it was it didn't take much, I think, to ignite. Um, but do you know how was it like spread around? Because I never heard about it. I know your dad like was familiar with this. That's how yeah. actually how he even got so radicalized by, by by just friends and and, and word of mouth. So what would happen was, you know, I mean, uh, part of so there would be like tourists from Israel, but also there would be cultural exchanges. So there'd be like a troupe or some singers that would come. This is before you know uh, the Soviet Union broke off diplomatic relations with Israel, and 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 the relations became very strained after the 1967 war. So you know, 1950s. They had, you know, the Soviet Union and Israel had, you know, good diplomatic relations, and there was you know, some cultural exchange happening. So there would be performances, you know, singers uh, for coming from Israel, dance troops, you know. So whenever, and, and, and also tourists would come. So, um, but there would be some kind of the tourists that bring that on purpose to. Yeah. Yes. And then so and so yes. And so whenever the, whenever there would be someone going to the Soviet Union, they would basically be kind of loaded up with various literature. Well, that sounds dangerous. 
Uh, I mean, but, <laughs> probably uh, but, not by that point. But, but like, yeah. but like, yeah, everyone would do that. I know that, like, you know, even a, 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 a American tourists who they would go to the Soviet Union, they would also they would also carry sometimes literature and mm -hmm. like give it to a contact, and then they would, you know, they would make copies with it on a typewriter and spread it into the sort of the um, the dissident yeah. community. So there was there was. Um, it, ex it happened. I mean, with Israel, it was it was a lot easier, I think, because you know Israel is an extremely tight knit and very ideological, and so the whole it's like function as like one organism. You know, it's um, everyone believed in in, in, the, in the Zionist idea, right? It, it's sort of like uh, so. That's how, from what I know, um, I mean, it was just done like that. So people carried in books, pamphlets, things like that, and so they would and they would hand it off to. To, to people, and then at that point they would be just you know passed around like everything else was in sort of the underground uh, community where you know any kind of forbidden literature or banned literature would be passed around. I mean, you had like a day to read something right, and you'd pass it on to someone else, or people would make like you know a bunch of copies on a typewriter, typing in like you know with those carbon copies they'd like make you know they put as many sheets as possible as they could into a into a typewriter, and um, they'd uh, you know they'd you know just duplicate it that way so they can pass it around. I, I mean, I know, you know, it's, it's a, there's one funny story um, that I read in a, in a memoir um, of a guy who spent some time in a, in a in, you know, and went to prison for his, his sort of Zionist activity. Um, and he was saying that <laughs> some of these Soviet Jews are so ideological, so, so crazy Zionist. I mean, they've turned so like hardcore Zionist that they were more like um, ideological than even some of the, st some of the literature that they got from, um, from Israel, Israeli sources. One of the books was this book novel called Exodus. That was a big. That was a huge hit. Um, it was this sort of fictionalized account of the founding of Israel. It was like a big melodramatic. And it was an American author wrote it. It was big. It was huge. It was an international success. There's a movie made, and it was like a huge hit. In when it, when it was you know when they got to the Soviet Union, it was huge. And so they were translating it from English into into um, into Russian, and. The guy that was translating it actually didn't like the fact that one of the subplots, like the, one of the, the Jewish, uh, there was a Jewish um, protagonist, you know, he had a love interest who was a shiksa, who was a, not a Jew. And they like fell in love. I think they got married. And he was so ups like, didn't like that, that he actually changed the plot of, he censored it. He basically, so a Soviet Jew who, you know, got bitten by the bug of Jewish nationalism and Zionism. Uh, was upset that like this basically what was essentially Zionist propaganda written by a Jew uh, in America, but like you know read by Jews all around the world and loved by Jews all around the world was not Zionist enough because here was a, here was a Jew who was marrying like a non-Jew like that how can you possibly do that so yeah so the Russian translation that was that would be making the rounds of this book in in this kind of Zionist Russian circles according to this one guy who wrote the memoir, it was basically censored to, be, to make it more Zionist than actually it was. So, you know, so the Soviet Jews got bit by the, by the nationalist bug, you know, in a massive way. Um, and it didn't take much to, to do that. And I mean, what's interesting about it is that, okay, so when you read, um, you know, sort of these kind of histories of the movement to save Soviet Jews, and they tell this story about, you know, sort of Americans working, you know, to pressure their government to save Soviet Jews from all the horrible things that they're supposed to be enduring in the Soviet Union. And then they sort of tell the story of, um, you know, Soviet Jews who are trying to, like, reclaim their identity and rediscovering their Jewish identity and, and basically, you know, motivated in, in large part by the fact they're being discriminated against and they're, you know, not, not, they don't have, like, a home in the Soviet Union and that they are, you know, it's the, 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 
kind of um, the anti-Semitism is, is you know the, the society is thick with anti-Semitism and all this stuff. The, this nationalist turn. And, and also, you know, a lot of Jews didn't just become nationalists. They also started kind of get, getting into the religious aspect of it. Um, they, it's described in isolation, like isolated from other currents in Soviet society. And I think what's kind of interesting about it is that this campaign to radicalize um, Jews and get them to, you know, believe in sort of their Jewish nationalism and to, re- to kindle that as part of their, of their identity, um, like... Actually, there were similar things happening in the Soviet Union, you know, in communities that weren't Jewish or even among Jews, but they were in a different way. This is what we want to talk about today. I mean, it's kind of a long-winded introduction to the episode, but, but like so that, you know, some people went to Jewish nationalism. Um, and Judaism, other people went to Russian Orthodoxy. Yeah, but in your Substack series, you are exploring those first group mostly. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. what it actually led them to and how America involved in this. Yes. And how in some ways they were duped and used as a, what do you call it? Whatever, it's like a... They, they, were, they weren't necessarily duped because they were They, they were, were on given board. opportunities, they, no, I know. They were on board with it. They were not against being used this way, I think. You know, that's the thing. It's like they were in on the scam on some level, you know? Yeah, because they wanted it. I yes, know, I know. Yeah. No so one it's forced like, it's like them to, to dupe, move. The dupe is implies, I think, I mean, I know what you're saying, I, uh, but the dupe implies that they were these people who were like, oh, they were told one thing, but they're going to get something else. I mean, I think on some level, everything was sort of open with them. I mean, maybe maybe it was harder. Maybe when they got to Israel, things were harder than they yeah. thought it would be. And that's true. Yeah. I mean, it was like the integration was not as, it was, it was a more, more of a difficult integration and people, maybe even some people, um, you know, uh, for a time at least, um, regretted regretted maybe what their their decision because it was so hard when they got to the Soviet. But like, but in, but but there was not like really a. They wanted to be used as they didn't like the Soviet Union. They were anti-Soviet Union, and the fact that they were used as sort of this on the on one hand like, um, you know, sort of cattle that could be could be put into into Israel. Yeah, but but yeah. when you say uh, and that's where what we're getting to the uh, <laughs> most people. Okay, no, a lot of people didn't like Soviet Union, didn't believe in the ideology already for a long time. Yeah, not knew just it, Jews. Knew it was fake, not just Jews, yeah. and also not just Jews who turned into Jewish nationalists. There were yeah. Jews who became very like Russian Orthodox, and there were Jews who were just I don't know. They 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 hated Soviet ideology and the idea that they didn't want to leave, but they wanted to become sort of like industrialists. Yeah, or, you know they didn't necessarily have a new faith, but they might have like believed in. I don't know, capitalism already. Yeah. But we're not Jewish nationalists. Exactly. So I don't know, there's so many options. Yeah, exactly. And and so the, the, the whole turn to Jewish nationalism and the sort of movement, this 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 awakening of Jewish national identity among Soviet Jews, I mean, it 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 it, it took par- it happened in parallel to other kinds of movements that were similar. I mean, this one was just the most the loudest one because it was weaponized um, from different dimensions. It was, you know, it was a big Israeli campaign, but also it, was, it became, that also grew into a big American campaign that saw an opportunity of, to use, um, you know, sort of the Soviet, the Soviet Jewish nationalist awakening in the Soviet Union as a way to kind of, as a battering ram and as a way to destabilize the Soviet Union. It was a, became a perfect issue, like a human rights issue that could be, you know, that could be used to destabilize um, the Soviet Union. You know, this is the height of the Cold War. And so, um, and so the Jewish um, story 
kind of got like it has gotten like central billing and a lot of attention in, in, in but it's happening at the same time and and motivated by similar forces internal internal to the Soviet Union which is basically a disillusionment with Soviet society mm-hmm. and a disillusionment, a disillusionment with Soviet identity and like and and a kind of a disintegration of what it means to be a Soviet so you know Soviet no one believed in, in any of the dreams anymore no yeah. one believed in any of the slogans and so people went different ways some people went like you said to Jewish nationalists other people actually you know, other Jew, Jews, you know, some Jews went to Jewish nationalists, other Jews converted to Christian uh, Christianity and became Russian Orthodox. And actually, I wonder, maybe your your dad, you know, was kind of, a, and, and his, like, his buddies. Oh, his buddies, a are lot actually of them. Kind of an, maybe you can talk about that, because I think it's a, fu- it's, 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 it's a funny, it's a funny story, because I think your dad, you know, who has hung out with all these sort of literary types and these poets, in the Soviet Union, you know, some of them became Jewish nationalists and immigrated, and, and others stayed in Russia and became Russian Orthodox. Or became Russian Orthodox and still immigrated, let's say, to Germany, yeah. like he did. And, and they're all Jews. <laughs> I mean, not yeah. all Jews, but some of them are Jews who did that, yeah. Well, his friends mostly are either half Jews yeah. or something like and so, that. And so he's, he's yeah. Jewish and he became but, Russian but, Orthodox. But, you know, just yeah. to give a bit more of a timeline, we've been very chaotic even though we're trying to <laughs> to put things in some kind of context so the our theory goes about this whole disintegration i, I don't know if you agree with me i think i it's never really disagree not, with you no <laughs> <laughs> no but really like late 20s 1930 i would say yeah the real like spiritual death for sure but then there was a specific event that i definitely heard it from my dad so in 1956 so only like three years after stalin's death right uh there was the hungarian kind of uprising mm-hmm. that was crushed by the soviet troops and uh, that was i've heard a number of times and i definitely heard from a late dad that was like a big what do you call it what's the saying like, like oh, th- that oh, was like moment a, of awakening uh, or a disillusionment that was a big yeah. moment of disillusionment because whatever people think it's like still a pretty close country and some people yeah. okay might have been disillusioned already and they're like corrupt nomenclature elites who didn't believe in it and were tra- traveling all over the world sure but for kind of more I would say I don't know if that even makes sense like average intelligentsia person yes. like average 1956 was like a big day yes. because they're like whoa so this is like they're crashing this sort of like a democratically kind of like inclined <laughs> uprising yeah uh, pretty violently it was violent yeah. and um i think it seems like uh i don't know how it was covered because like there was no freedom of press yeah and probably a lot of people didn't even know how it was like what exactly was going on there like just an average citizen let's say if you're like yeah. live in some yeah. small town but from what i said but but then a lot of people probably you know big, big cities did know i wonder i wonder if they knew because look you know because uh, one of uh, um radio liberty mm-hmm. um was you know very much involved in covering um, the Hungarian sort of uprising uh, and, 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 and involved in... I, I'm just wondering if people actually listened to Radio Liberty. Those who did, and then, then they, they spread them. Because I know that, like, I know that, you know, Radio Liberty is actually... Inv- it's, what's interesting is that sort of Radio Liberty is the CIA um, sort of that was covertly fund- created by the CIA to beam, you know, communist propaganda, anti-communist propaganda, to bring, beam anti-communist propaganda into, into the Soviet Union. And I know that like they, they had a Hungarian division and the Hungarian division is actually kind of like was try egging on the um, uh, the uprising and basically was almost like promising that if they if they rose up, there would be help from the West. There's actually an aspect of that. Wait, they were like ignite, like almost like pushing them in this direction? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I mean, I mean, it's I don't know if you can 
you know, lay the blame or lay the, you know, the effect fully on the CIA. I mean, yeah. it, but like, but it had, a, it played whatever role it, it, it played, it, it, it tried to play a role. Well, they kind least. of fucked them over in many yes, ways. Yes, no, of course, because there's no one who's coming to help them. And, and so they were definitely egging it on. And, and that's part of what, you know, the whole point of these propaganda radio stations, right, is not to affect some sort of necessarily... A positive outcome or a uh, successful outcome. It's to maybe you know the, the more the negative the outcome you, you create, maybe the better. The better. It is, right? Because it's again it creates the pressure. It, it, and and so I know that they they were not only just you know covered the protest, but they were actually kind of involved in egging it on. And so uh, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know your dad or just sort of the kind of the intelligentsia in in Moscow and the big cities was able to tune in to the radio stations and, and got their information. Because yeah. I wonder, yeah, because there was a blackout. You know, my dad was always talking, you know, t- told me, you know, he's he sort of says that, like, it's hard for, for people like us to really understand it. I mean, it's it's true. It's like there was, it's, it was very difficult to get any kind of non-official information, right? I mean, there was, there was no internet. You couldn't use, like, a VPN to get around, you know, a censorship block. And so, like, news uh, radio stations like... Uh, the BBC radio stations like Voice of America, radio stations like Radio Liberty, um, were extremely were like the only source of non-official information that people yeah. got. You know, and of course there was like the smuggled books and all that. But like in terms of just sort of current events, and he says that like you know my dad, I don't think we probably I, I don't I doubt we would have come to America or wanted would have left. If not for this, Radio Free, yeah. If it mm-hmm. wasn't for Radio, he didn't listen to Radio Liberty as much. He says he listened more to Voice of America because he liked the cultural stuff more than like the kind of Radio Liberty is more hardcore political. Um, but Radio Liberty, I mean, Voice of America and the BBC, he would listen to English language broadcasts of cultural programs and all this stuff, and some some news segments and things like that. So he wouldn't. It really had a huge effect on him um, when, he, as, a, as a young man, he would listen to it and like realize that there's a whole other world, and that, you know, you know, he implicitly believed obviously everything that was told to him on there, or just not just there's no reason to not believe it. But what it did is it offered a contrast to the stuff that he, you know, heard in in, in you know from the official sources, and so. So, I mean, I, I wonder if, you know, it came from that. It'd be actually pretty interesting to find out. Yeah, well, I guess I can ask around, like, the dad yeah. is, is died last year. But, yeah. yeah, so in 56, he was 20. So that actually makes sense that, um, like, his friends and, like, the circle of those people. And yeah. I bet someone like Tarkovsky, too, because yeah. actually they were maybe slightly different years, but they both studied at the film school, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. They were disillusions for sure. And uh, they were more kind of almost like... Um, seeking some kind of Christian, like literally turning to Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, not laughing. Yeah, because were... Tarkovsky was a Russian Orthodox, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but again, I, I bet he wasn't necessarily born into it because Soviet Union, I don't know. Like I know there are stories that um, uh, Soviet Union didn't last for that long. So even if you were born, let's say, like Tarkovsky, I mean, at like 36, 37, you could have, or wait, Tarkovsky is old, like 32, I think 33. Let's say your grandmother might have baptized you because they were pre-Soviet. They are Russian Orthodox anyway. So that actually makes sense. So I think a lot of people were kind of semi-secretly baptized. So I don't want to... I'm not sure about, let's say, Tarkovsky and more like sort of like he might Russian have been like a, So he actually might have been like a, a, an actual born again. M- might be. I, I need to look into it because there are cases like that. Of course, just people yeah. t- didn't talk about it. And then when it was a bit more loud, they're like, hey, I'm actually Russian Orthodox yeah. and how all has always been. Yeah. I've always been. So that that, that definitely happened. Uh, but definitely not my dad, who was um, whose mom was Jewish. He was half Jew. <laughs> and uh, dad was a hardcore 
communist uh, believer in the system and his like, dad his dad yeah my, my grandfather was like a prominent uh, soviet scientist who definitely like i think from what I heard, believed in Stalin till the very end, and all that. So, uh, yeah, what there's no yeah. Russian Orthodox. He turned to, he got baptized when he was so maybe like 70s. That was pretty common too. Also, so he was how old? Like uh, like late 30, 40, like something around around wow. 40. Yes, you're not young anymore. Yeah, but a lot of people That's in actually interesting circle were doing that in, too. Because I, I mean, it, it, this would go right in hand. Because like the the. There's a kind of, I think, a couple of different waves for just to Jewish, the, the sort of the Zionism and the Jewish nationalism. There was like the early pe- people who were like in the 50s started sort of. That's it, early, yeah. yeah. But then like the next wave really kind of started happening towards the end of the, in, in the, the late 60s. That's yeah. where your dad, your parents basically fit in. Yeah, and, and my dad was probably, my parents, were, I think, were sort of on the, lo- on the later side of it, you know. Um, but 70s for sure, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, but anyway, and my dad who's a Jew and a lot of his friends yeah, they some of them definitely became a pretty. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say hardcore Christians, but they definitely were like. But he has some interesting theories. Like I mean, because he has like whole whole theory of of, of 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 politics that sort of tied in with Russian Christianity, right? And like yeah, no, he doesn't like the church. Yeah. Because I think he almost sees himself as some. You put it well, or saw himself as some kind of like first century Christian surrounded by like <laughs> um, kind of. <laughs> Elon Klein, Romans, yeah. and some like that. So like a true, true and believer. Jews, and Jews, and yeah. Jews, yeah. <laughs> like, right. So like a true, true who believer. Who the Romans, yeah. Yeah, like he didn't he was like, like the structure. Christian, yeah. He was like an early Christian who were like almost like hiding. And he believes that like actually the, the real Russian, the real good like Russian people are the oh, true, old they're old believers, yeah. Only. And who, were, who were basically going back to basically Peter the Great, essentially. Right? Yeah, and they yeah. were, a lot of them were killed, eradicated, yeah. like driven to Siberia, so, you know, they're like yeah. some villages just like remain there yeah. and that's his whole thing but um and uh, <laughs> i don't know there's some truth to once you start looking at old believers um let's say the the peasant kind of style of communities yeah. of old believers that still exist and supposedly exist back in the day they were famous for being remember we even been to a museum of yes. religion uh, in st petersburg that they were basically famous for being um kind of very different from a, a like other Russians, yeah. they wouldn't drink, and they still don't drink. They're hard workers. They're yeah, like they're accumulators very, of capital. They're very efficient, yeah. And it, it, it's mm-hmm. apparently towards the end of in the nineteenth century, towards the end of the nineteenth century. I mean, they were actually huge industrialists because they had a lot of cap- capital and they f- funded a lot of um, industrial projects in late Tsarist Empire. Um, but yeah, so, so he actually anyway, thinks. But, but the, he actually thinks on, on some like almost genetic level. He thinks it's that, almost genetic. Like, um, the real Russia was destroyed. Basically, by Peter the Great, yes. who uh, reformed the church and you know caused this big schism, and then you know the the true believers were essentially chased out of society and had to be chased to the and w- yeah. existed on the fringes, and that was the beginning of the end of the of, of the of Russian no, of, state, of, of the of, right Russian. Of the correct, right. I don't know. Soul, so he's a, he's a, you know he's like a half Russian, half Jewish guy who went, you know, like. He actually doesn't even see them. He, he became a, like a pretty big anti-Semite almost. He's no? bad anti-Semite. <laughs> I, I have recorded Skype right. conversations with him that I turned to, to like some animation. I probably should turn more of those convos into animation. You it's should just, actually, release, you should actually yeah, post that. I, I might post some of it, but I, I probably need subtitles because it's in Russian. It's really offensive for a guy who is like by, not just Israeli standards, by many standards, by, by Nazi standards, by anyone, is a Jew and sounds, you know. I mean, your dad is like, I don't know, Jewish. he's... You could, you could tell he's a Jew from like 
I don't know, a block away, because just the way that his mannerisms, the way he—I mean, I, well, not a block. You you meet him, you know. Yeah, it's like, he's, like he's, he's, he has a very very Jewish vibe, like a you know, kind of a almost. I mean, for people who don't know the Soviet Union, it's like it's like almost like a New York Jewish vibe. If he was if he was spoke with a New York accent and spoke English, he would be you'd be like a you know a guy that you'd find a Lower East Side arguing oh, that's the guy. arguing with someone playing playing chess with them, you know, and like. Um, and and uh, you know walking around with all these weird bags or something I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's cute. but but yeah, huge anti-Semite and was obsessed with this theme of like major Russian writers being anti-Semitic too. But how the hell it helps him, I don't know. The, the fact that Chekhov yeah. he was obsessed with the theme, which is interesting. Yeah, Chekhov was anti-Semite. Wasn't an anti-Semite though. But who wasn't an anti-Semite? Like and also in in like that way yeah. I don't I mean he was saying that there's some truth to it is basically what he was yeah, saying yeah he actually says that well they were and there was a reason <laughs> why are all the great Russian authors anti-Semitic there has to be a reason <laughs> Just like, there it's is the a Jews reason. fault yeah. yeah and I'm like alright so it's a Jew fault but then and you <laughs> since he saw himself as a great Russian poet not like um, undervalued Jewish, yeah. clearly yeah. no a Russian poet he kind of like continues this tradition of <laughs> I don't know what it's pretty funny but like, I mean so and what's interesting is that he so like where some of his buddies went to Jewish nationalism. Well, yeah. Like actually a few good friends who became uh, not just Jewish nationalists, like hardcore went into Judaism. Yeah. Like not like your parents, like actually became almost like scholars of Judaism. Yeah. You know, like um, what do you call it? Like they would like yeah. go do kashrut. They would, they would they would basically move to They converted, Israel. they became Orthodox Jews. Yeah, and become yeah. like almost Orthodox Jews. I'm not sure exactly that or conservative. I, I think are, might be Orthodox no, they're, Jews. I'm sure they're Orthodox. Okay. You don't you don't go to like no. half-assed. No, no, yeah. no. They, yeah, yeah, became Orthodox um, uh, Jews and uh, moved to Israel and live like yeah. I don't know what it is, what century is yeah. there, the way they live and they definitely kind of I think it's a strong identity Yeah, I think stronger than just being Jewish nationalists yeah well it depends because there's a lot of secular Jewish Zionists you know in, the, in, in Israel um, it's a pretty valid it's a pretty valid Jewish identity I mean you know one of the guy that one of the a memoir that I read of this guy named Yaakov uh, Kedmi who you know his actually last his real name is uh, Yaakov Kazakov, but he changed. You know, real the real kind of Zionists um, change their change their names when they move to Israel to you to know fit in. to fit in. But no, but to reflect because they see their whatever they're like they're non-Jewish or kind of their Russified um, kind of last names as you know not like part of who they are. So they like you know. Um, we'll use like Hebrew names and all that's this stuff. really funny because the whole Russian experience of Russian Jews or Russian Empire Jews is that they would change their Jewish sounding name into something more yes, exactly. Russian like uh, part of my family last name is basically something of a silver man yeah, silver but man. they translated it fully into a Russian word that yes. means silver and it's like sounds normally Russian yeah, it's, not, it's not silver man it's like but would they, would, I mean would there be because they came from they came from Belarus right yeah, so, yeah, I, so, they, so what would there what would the language be because it's weird because like what would they're the Yiddish speakers Yiddish speakers so what, it depends what I have no idea but yeah, it's definitely which, not this yeah, it yeah. can't sound the Russian like yes. that so they changed it I yeah. imagine at some point yeah. so but anyway and a lot of people would change or take um, like a um, name what do you call it like a pen name or yes they would do the reverse so if you move to Israel and like yeah and become one of want to see more Jewish that's yeah. interesting I mean it's funny because I, I none of the as far as I know none of the like sort of small extended family of mine that you know that moved 
we moved to America, obviously, you know, and then I have like sort of my dad's side, my dad's side of the family, his brother um, moved to Israel. Um, and then I have some on my mom's side that moved, you know, that moved to Israel pretty early. I mean, they were never like, you know, it's funny, they were never like super ideologically Zionist. I mean, they, they by default, you become that, you are that. Because, because that's kind there, of, right? and that's what your identity is. You're Jewish, you believe in this Jewish state. You know, it's like, that's the, that's the, um, that's sort of the vibe that I get. But they're not like, you know what I mean? They're not like, um, uh, some of the earlier activists who who are activists and who became you know that Kaznik or the uh, as they as they the refuseniks they come come here which I hate that word actually because they try to like they try to like russify an English word you know refuse with a nik like Kaznik you know it's like it's kind of a silly word but anyway um, they were a lot more hardcore and ideological because they had to fight for it you know they had to um, they didn't really um, they had to kind of there were a lot more you know they kind of had to build a little activist circles and you know they some of them went to, to jail for it um and so uh, but my family it wasn't like it wasn't like ideological first and foremost and then you know did everything they could to sort of leave it was sort of like there were already the way was happening you know there were kind economic of, reasons it's, too. Economic, it's right. mostly economic reasons in, in, in addition to basically a kind of a, a, a jewish nationalist identity i think I mean, it was a big part of it just because you feel like you're a jew you 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 and you it's sort of it's na and naturally they come together you know you can yeah. leave because you're a Jew you don't really feel like you fit in in, in Russia and that's and, an interesting yeah. point because I really found out about this aspect of life only when I met you and your family yeah I I didn't know Jews don't fit in or don't feel like <laughs> they're like have claimed to Russia I, sw I so swear amazing, I'm, yeah. not, I'm really not, I'm not yeah. like just. you're totally <laughs> completely this uh, I mean even, like this is like a par this is like a side of, of, of Soviet and Russian culture that like you basically had no idea existed zero idea until you I basically really were an know. adult I, yeah. yeah I know that people would like emigrate to Israel amazing, I knew yeah. about this but I, I really didn't know like the kind of what like, did what you think actually when you know you knew that okay you knew this your dad and friends know. who went to Israel right uh, yeah like they're old you know what did you really think of them like why did you think like I think there's something has to do with specifically just them being into relig religion. Like religion. I thought, oh, they're like Jews, like they're religious. So they need to be by the Western wall <laughs> and like grow the, like no, yeah, literally the like the thing and, and, yeah, and put, the, put the suit on and kind of do the thing. So I don't know what I <laughs> really thought of it, but at least I understood what it's about. Yeah, so you thought it was a religious thing. Totally, or I thought it's religious. People, yeah. And then of my generation, because I, I, I think I talked earlier before when I was like, um, I went to take a birthright yes. program and I know some people even my age or a bit older would move there I don't know if forever but they would get the passport yeah. the citizenship and would even study might be at the university there I don't know if they I don't know if they stay there forever but that kind of immigration I saw is almost like kind of a chance to get a passport that um, allows you to travel more freely than the Russian one and also like that doesn't tie you to the country and also you can be there for a few years and study in good climate like <laughs> no, I didn't do it but other people did it clearly partially yeah. the reason and then decide what you want to do after yeah. it's you know what it's not a real immigration yeah because you, you can go it, back and forth yeah. yeah and if you do it what in 2005 like what does it even mean like you can yeah. do it but it doesn't really like you know and, yeah. it, and it also doesn't require you to 
be religious at all because they for them it's, it's all yeah. about at least in the birthright they they don't talk about religion too, too much because it's, they uh, talk it's about aimed, at, aimed, aimed at secular jews yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so anyway so th there's there's that so i don't know but yeah so when <laughs> this part of the history that you're exploring right now and you also like just been kind of living who I was, no, yeah, but also yeah. living yeah. that's who you are that was like a total mystery to me yeah. because um like not only i found out that i'm like jewish like about like 16 or rather late i guess i heard this word thrown around maybe mm -hmm. but i like that that had no like relevance to my experience or for that sake really like experience of, of even like older members of my family yeah because first of all um well they were whatever moscow jews which probably helps like if you know to to, to experience less discrimination in terms of yeah. i don't know but not to, to everyone to, it does discrimination in terms of like work or study I, I i don't i don't know if what's the reason that they were not severe as severely discriminated well, your against says, your mom says that the, because a they don't look jewish and b they don't really have a jewish last name right well, one does. Yeah, one. Some mm -hmm. people do. Yeah. No, that's right. Your, actually, wait, your wait, uncle wait. is, is no, a very Jewish No, number of uncles. The, the Silverman yeah, thing. Yeah, never had no, any problems there. No, and they're a huge part of the family who I still have that name. Yeah. Not just one. They're like yeah. most of them. She just doesn't. That's right. But anyway, so no, no, that's not true. There's like a name. That's true. They have, you have, they have an extremely Jewish name. And, and then it's then a Silverman. Like, yeah. And then they're like a Jew for all. Their other they're uncle. They're very, very, very Jewish. What are you talking Oh, my other uncle also became hardcore Orthodox uh, Russian Orthodox. But he looks very Jewish. He has a Jufra. Is it what you call it in I English? I guess, yeah, like curly black hair. Yeah, but I, I, he, yeah. Like, he, like the thing. Yeah. And he looks like... He just looks like a Jew. Yeah, like <laughs> you have no doubt. He's hard. And he's, and he's super uh, Russian Orthodox. Hardcore. Wow. And um, so anyway... Like he has the icons everywhere and all Yeah, yeah, the whole wow. thing. You know, probably in his jeep too. <laughs> like the, yes, whole, yeah. <laughs> the Mercedes jeep with those icons, that's my favorite. Yeah, it, he has well, that. it's a good he one. It's a Mercedes that. with Jew, you know, and then... Uh, Mercedes. Uh, I yeah, mean, how Jew, does yeah. it even? Mercedes is Jew, so you got the Nazi like you know, car, uh, yeah. Nazi car. You're a Jew. You're Russian Orthodox with the icons. You know, he should yeah. just he should join the black but, the black hundred. But it's so common. Yeah. I yeah. think I wasn't even registered until he laughed at it because I wasn't his car. He definitely has it, and then a lot of other people. Yeah, too. of course. So here, so and he's and he didn't become a Russian Orthodox because he was being discriminated against. No, 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 not at all. And he he because his, his wife was a Russian Orthodox, right, or something. Um, not even clear. It's a long story. I think something has to do with the death of his like young child he'd been like in grief no yeah. something like that I but don't know but, okay, but so, it, it, yeah. so it has yeah. nothing to do with discrimination but anyway but also like there's another element which I, I think is I don't I don't know is it commonly known like then the even older generation of the Jews I come from the, the Jewish side of the family they're just like very anti-religion they're not, they, you know, like, let's say my great grandparents. So they're like totally Jewish, uh, would move from, um, what is it, where Jews usually live, some part of Belarus. I need to look up the town and then move to Moscow early 20th century uh, and, uh, and forever remained like very kind yeah. of. I don't know, I guess atheistic link, atheist inclined, yeah. because a century ago, yes. it wasn't like cool to be generally yes. religious. Did your mom say that your, her grandmother would like go yeah, around would, as a yeah, kid? Yeah, I want to tell you a funny story. Her grandmother said she was born like, what, 1890, 1880, 1890, let's say, 1890. Yeah. So even either pre-Soviet Union, there was like, let's say, uh, Easter service or something like that. In Moscow. And, yeah, in Moscow, they were in Moscow. And I think they definitely, um, you know, it's 
the Russian Orthodox society still on the brim of the revolution. And uh, yeah, when there is this uh, classical uh, Easter greeting, everyone knows it. What is it? Christ is rising. Yeah. You're supposed to say it on Easter. And I think at the service when they would say it, she would yell like, "It's a lie! It's a lie!" How would she say it in what would be it in Russian? She'd be like, <laughs> I mean, she'd be like, "Christos Voskres, Christos Voskres," and you're like, "Nepravda, nepravda, nepravda, nepravda." Because you're supposed to respond to this by uh, Easter. So she was essentially like an anti-religious hooligan. She would like, or like, would go around and like mock the religious people. Y- yeah, that's uh, crazy. Actually, that's no, pretty. Or it's y- radical. It's yeah. radical, but I think Back. if you're probably in the city and you have a certain like kind that's very normal yeah I, I, no way she was alone like this of course yeah. not yeah no yeah it's cool to be socialist right yeah we, it's we before we talk about before the collapse of everything yeah. and then even later on what are you gonna not everyone just because soviet union sucked we're yeah. gonna turn to religion you know it's also another no. that's not a, it's not a most obvious thing you can be very disillusioned with this yeah. i don't know structure and uh, sort of corruption of but yeah not everyone no but, in, but it's interesting what people turn to i mean but i think it, it is actually quite you know the people who are kind of more I don't know radical I guess in in in, in their rejection of yeah. Soviet society. So if you, let's say you're in this you're like a young person in the '60s and you're sort of rejecting Soviet society. Yeah. What do you turn to? What right? do you turn to? Yeah. And so that's and interesting. So, and so I think you know in, in this case like so there, some people turn to Jewish nationalism and, and yeah. Judaism. Um, some people turn to. You know, uh, whatever their whatever their ethnic nationalism is. Yeah, which were very. You know, Ukrainian, Lithuanian, yeah. Latvian. I mean, there's a, there's because there's a ready-made identity canon for you, of, right? Yeah, yeah, an identity and a canon, of, and and also, but it's also, you know, forbidden, right, and repressed by the Soviet mm-hmm. Union. So the literature, the they're the they're actually. Um, all the people that are so you know sort of the the you know the the the, the people who are associated with these these ideas, their works, whatever you know, whatever you choose, they're, they're kind of like either outright forbidden or repressed, or it's very hard to get them, and so they're demonized. And so you go to the different nationalisms, or you go to the church, which is pretty you know obviously there's still there's still there's still churches all around you know Moscow and all around the Soviet Union, so you see them and you kind of know you know they they give they have something deeper they have a something mystical about them and it's like it's illicit so but if you don't go to the religion nationalism I mean where do you actually go well you become cynical you become just a cynic uh, yeah. yeah and I think uh, from what I know uh, about like um, certain cool I actually respect like their art a lot a lot of like kind of artist types okay not a lot some probably probably did the religious route too I, I, I don't know all the biographies but all of them were just kind of like cynical pranksters yeah. because what you don't you might be too I don't know. Not that you're too educated to, to become Jewish nationalist. You can become that. But generally speaking, you might also just slightly kind of like drop out of the society yeah. and be like an underground, which was very doable in Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, because it's cheap to live. Anyway, it, you, you, you could live like that. And uh, outside of like the official culture yeah. structures um, and be kind of like this you know, I don't know, cynical observer who, who, mock, yeah. who mocks it all. But at the same time, still, if you probably would have asked those people what they believe in, I don't know. Exactly, like, yeah. yeah, I actually don't know. Because they would, like, they would react to that, but I don't know what, what they believe What is the in. thing that stands behind know. them? Is it to be, it's a good you can question. Be, I mean, I think, I think for the most part, people were extremely cynical and just said, okay, I just want to do what it takes to you know, advance and to be successful in Soviet society and you kind of join the party, but, but you don't believe dissidents? it. What about dissidents? Because I know that dissidents have a bad rap and when among us as well, that they're this kind of like, um, 
you know, pro-American, just sort of... Um, I don't see them actually as a no, negative but, but actually yeah. the OG, <laughs> I don't know, original dissidents who already were in trouble in the 50s and 60s, they were not like any yeah. kind of puppets of anyone. And they were pretty brave people, even if like... Of course, yeah. A lot of them were sent to a version of uh, camps for many years. And I want to bring up actually one of the examples probably people would be interested. Um, there's this um, it was a famous um, trial case. Mm-hmm. I think it was already late 50s, something maybe 56, 57, speaking, mm-hmm. speaking of pretty early, speaking of disintegration. It was a trial of um, called Senyavsky and Daniel. Mm-hmm. They were Russian writers and dissidents. And uh, so and uh, they definitely went for a number of years to the camps, pretty hard labor, uh, considering all they did was publish their works sort of like illegally abroad. You know, mm-hmm. they would they, they would have uh, foreign friends who would smuggle it to France or even probably United States as well. And uh, yeah, and they will be published under the pseudonyms. Mm-hmm. But then there was a weird thing. I think there's not um, kind of like one answer, but there's suspicion that someone betrayed them because uh, it's like they would publish under pseudonyms, yeah. so they're not, they were not actually trying to, you know, r- reveal who they who they were. But there is like a theory that someone betrayed them, um, like sort of uh, in the West. So not necessarily CA, but basically someone. Wow betrayed them so to cause like a big scandal Interesting. and to show how repressed again you know this usual thing wow, no. how repressive Soviet Union is because wow, when you betray them you know more about that that's interesting well, is there a is there um, I can show you some is articles there, there's there, not a definitive answer gotcha. but there's like the, there uh, is, are is there, theories is there, is there a, are theories about who yeah. might have done it yes there, like an actual individual uh, this yeah, it's sort of through yeah like diplomatic works and that's then they obviously yeah. all the uh, people connected to embassies can be connected to CIA and blah blah and all that but it actually doesn't seem too saying that someone would betray them over there so there would be this horrible case they would be sent to the camps yeah. and it would seem like look at those writer dissidents they didn't do anything bad they would just write this amazing story or essay or whatever and now what 10 yeah. years <laughs> hard labor that does sound probable, right? Yeah. From what you know about this, yeah. I mean, this I, kind of I, I mean, I, so anyway, that that that's just like a background for this. But why I, I'm kind of long-winded. Um, but um, what what what's interesting is that Sinyavsky, um, one of those duos, Sinyavsky and Daniel. But Sinyavsky wrote this interesting essay. It's pretty long, but I, I finally <laughs> finished reading it, and, and it was written in, again something like maybe 55, 56, and uh, published. I, I can't remember if it was smuggled to America or France mm-hmm. um, under name Abram Terz. He had like a whatever funny funny moniker, but um, it's called What is Socialism Socialism Realism? Mm. And he has a really interesting theory and it's clearly very, very offensive to whatever, again, the Soviet authorities. Uh, but in short, uh, he makes a really good case that social realism, uh, why there are no good or even memorable works of this genre, whatever that is uh, in painting, writing. But it's like basically impossible because uh, what it is, uh, is like a oxymoronic even... Um, Kind of like convention, because what what really um, socialist socialist realist writer <laughs> has to do is to actually be a classicist, because you kind of write about something that never existed mm-hmm. and uh, not clear. But what it's is, a fantasy, also, right? It's like it, it, yeah, so yes. I, I'm getting there. So it's classicism with um, with notes of ro- romanticism, yes. because it's all <laughs> fantasy. So it has nothing to <laughs> do, yeah, good. has nothing to do with realism at all. 
it's it, it wasn't a satire but it almost you could read it as satirical it only yeah. then makes sense because it's so funny yeah because but it you, was yeah. written you know yeah. it was written in a very straight manner so and it obviously doesn't work that way so you can only either parody yourself by writing that way no i know yeah, yeah and uh there's nothing that can come out of it because it's also almost unaware because again yeah. people weren't necessarily uh, big authors of it that he predicted correctly would be forgotten immediately no yeah. one remembers that and I mean there have been basically they're popular now again with like the kind of the the, the zoomer tankies you know lo, lo, I don't know just because it's like you maybe, love maybe but I've, even yeah. like the ones that popular probably I'm were rather jo- good they not, actually not, everyone was forgotten no no, but no the it's thing just is, the style is just you know it's like as a, me- as a meme thing or something it's like maybe yeah but, the, but the, that's the, the essence of it is like they were not doing it as parody even though that's the only way it can be perceived because yeah. it's just ridiculous. No, I get it. It's it's actually a good point. It's like because it's like when you look at yeah, like when you think of social realism, it's like okay, it's it's like aspirational. It's first aspirational, it's aspir- right? super aspirational. You describe what is not, but what is hope, there hope to, to, to to come into being, yes. to bring into being, yes. or whatever. But so to call it realism is is, is kind it's of a isn't, joke. It's, it's, it's 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 yeah, it's a joke. It's a, it's like a and to call it so it, also it's like. The the style is yeah because it's extremely an extremely it's re- re- yeah it's like a reactionary um, style um, of uh, of painting and whatever right? no and, and writing and, yes, what and writing. the hell yeah. is that yeah right and and again makes sense that um, when all those like avant garde cool authors were most of them <laughs> killed throughout by yeah. late thirties you know yeah uh, while the only one <laughs> remained as some kind of hacks of socialism realism you basically deliver the kind of the stuff that yeah it's like yeah. Yeah. So you were not even allowed to explore anything else. Anyway, but Ivan Bringer, it's a really cool article, and I think uh, I don't do necessarily justice. It's not just one thesis there. Yeah. It's interesting to read, but it's like written by a guy who is a dissident who was sent to the camps, and I think then he came back, and he still had, a, I think, quite a long um, life, um, But uh, Andrei Sinyavsky. But basically, I think he kind of has an interesting take because he clearly very very much disillusioned mm-hmm. with like the Soviet system yet it's not that um, he he seems I don't know I, I'm saying it unironically kind of like idealistic enough to even look into this he's not yeah. just like mocking he's trying to understand what the hell is this because art is kind of interesting right and it's interesting because it describes kind of yeah. the reality you live in and uh, it did a rather <laughs> clearly poor job with it and he was right about the, the collapse and he's even predicting he, he basically trying to say um, he's just like a kind of arty guy like a writer he's sort of almost like predicted the collapse of the Soviet Union writing it in 56 which definitely not all people would agree oh, with him uh, back yeah. then because they would say what are you talking about I don't know this is a kind of super oppressive violent powerful blah 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 country it's like no way it's like very powerful if this is the yeah. heart of it so there's like that interesting aspect and uh, I, I think he was not like fully he, I don't think he was cynical because he was actually a good whatever a cultural critic which is probably a rare thing to be a good cultural critic yeah, yeah. how can you be a cultural critic in, in the Soviet Union it's pretty, I don't know. pretty hard well barely look yeah. as part of of it is published just like yeah. under moniker broad you're dissident so you, you know, you're not yeah. official you definitely yeah. do not write under i don't know pravda yeah i mean do you know what happened to him oh, oh sorry i gotta speak in the microphone <clears throat> i'm like i'm like forgetting that we're actually recording this thing i'm just sort of sitting around uh, <laughs> chatting here um do, do you know actually what happened to him like um, camps almost no, no, 10 but years. after he came out what happened to him in the 80s what happened to him in the 90s yeah, yeah. They, like i think it was all forgiven no i know that but like what did he do um in, in, in the mean in, i mean he was rehabilitated essentially right <laughs> What was his career like? 
You know, it's an interesting thing. Did he, did he like, I, you know, I think not much. I think the, what the most fa his most famous, um, I think, writing to yeah. belongs to that period. God, I mean, I got to say, you know, it's like there's something to be, you know, there's a the, the simplicity of, of the times that they lived in and like the kind of the, the, the clear boundaries between like what's permissible and what's, you know, what's considered to be um, kind of a almost like a revolutionary act you know it's like it's like imagine like writing imagine like think about today right it's like everyone has a critique of capitalism everyone has a critique of you know um you know like uh i don't know like mark fisher would say capitalist realism but you know everyone like critique critiquing every aspect of the society that we live in just everyone's critiquing i mean critique 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 there's so much fucking critique it's like you don't even want to hear it anymore you know and like and you know and here yeah, here's this guy who writes one you know kind of no no it's not the only thing he published it just like I, I, I really that. like this one. He, he read like um, what do you call it, fictional stories too. But I'm just saying, novels, is it like I the think. thing that he the, he writes a thing, you know, that sort of like critiques the Soviet Union and critiques the kind of the the, the artistic style at the heart of the Soviet of the Stalinist project. Um, and like he gets to, to the camps for it, you know. But he becomes also internationally famous for it, and you know, and and it right, and so and maybe and he's maybe right, but it's just it's like the simplicity. I'm almost like jealous of the simplicity of those times and of the clear boundaries and like the clear cause and effect between what you do, you know, what you say, and like the repercussions that you suffer. You know, it's sort of like the the, the idea. You know, this sort of like there's something. I don't know. It's like. Uh, the simplicity you, the simpl of the, whereas you know the murk of of the sort of, of 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 the kind of the permissive society that we live in, which is, you know, you it's all like you know you critique is open to anybody and it's like it has no it has no effect and has no it has, you know and it has like no one listens to you or you know someone reads it has, so there's like there's an there's an actual. I don't know. There's a there's a, I don't know how to say it, it but there's like when if for people like him there was an actual. I don't know, like a, an enemy, but like, but like a force that you're kind of fighting with or critiquing, and it and it hits back, and it like you know, you know, there's repercussions, but it also creates, you know, a kind of a, a narrative for you. Um, That's rather it, simple, right? It's simple and honorable, and like yeah. the society that we live in doesn't like really allow for those kinds of narratives, you know. But you know, since I had I had to look up, I didn't remember. I guess I read it at some point. So just uh, in terms of Sinyavsky, this guy, yeah. so he did immigrate. It makes sense, of course, he immigrated. But I didn't remember where. So he immigrated to Paris, uh -huh. and he was a professor of Russian literature at Sorbonne oh. until he died from whatever lung cancer because of being a smoker. Because of being a smoker, ninety-seven, which is interesting, I guess. If he stayed in Russia, he would have seen something very peculiar. What, how did this, he immigrate? Uh, so uh, when he was released, so okay. so uh, so Andropov released him early, and uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, rehabilitated him. Re yeah, basically rehabilitated him, and he was released a bit early from the camp, from the camps where he worked literally as a what do you call Grushik? Uh, as a guy who. Uh, well, he would like load. Uh, he would like uh, any labor. He would like load hard things. Hard labor. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but generally hard labor because I think on his uh, case that he later a saw a mover or something, you know, like a. Yeah. And he writes that um, later he saw his case and it said that uh, don't give him like any non-physical uh, labor jobs. Wow. Use him to the full, and they did. But I think he didn't necessarily mind because those Moscow types they actually probably need some physical labor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, to like it's like it's like they Slouchy. did. The, it's funny. It's like it's like gulag. It's like uh, you know his like. 
what what's the cure it's like the guy just sits and writes too much you know he needs to work out a little bit almost like a prophylactic yeah but i'm just curious how he fits if you fits into our our kind of um i mean i think he fits like this yeah. he died on time without living in a new russia and yeah. without uh watching really closely if you stay in france and whatever at that point already probably sick throughout 90s yeah what do you really know what's after soviet union nothing so i think you're lucky that your this dichotomy remains yeah. you like escape this like i shitty society yeah. that prosecuted you for no reason yeah for and, writing uh, a great <laughs> yeah yeah in any way and you were professor at Sorbonne yeah. I don't know you don't necessarily have to be some kind of like obsequious francophile you don't have no. to be but you still probably like you know probably it's better there for sure so I don't think you necessarily have this like as you say the murky relationship yeah. with your reality so I think it's almost like <laughs> there were a lot of them were lucky to die on time yeah because before you know they had yeah. to fully process what like I don't know what is it the capitalism brought or I don't, yeah. I don't know what they thought they this like open society yeah so I don't know what, what's your take I don't know I just don't know him I mean I'm just yeah I don't know I, I, because I I mean I know you've talked about him before and um, you've talked about his essay um, but I don't know I, I just I, I linked it. I just don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, no, I'm talking I, I, about I, just generally these people who like have oh. this like, the simplistic economy. I mean, I think even if they survived, I think most people, most of these people survived. I mean, they and maybe even are alive now. Like some of your family members and my family and my parents and yeah. sort of. Their, I mean, I, I don't think their worldview holds you know it's like everything holds it's like uh they left this you know shitty soviet system that they hated um whatever their identity was in particular whether they became sort of zionist where they became jewish sort of uh, religious jews where they became or they they became i don't know like russian nationalist or ukrainian nationalist or whatever or russian orthodox um believers you know like um like the world sort of the world is uh, what's happened in Russia and what's happening in the world. It doesn't like negate that worldview. It, it sort of re- reinforces it. You know, if you're a Jewish nationalist, or if you're a Zionist living in America or living in Israel, you know, like you were saying actually the other day when we were talking about this, it's like it's right. sort of your your identity is reaffirmed everywhere you look. You know, being a Jewish nationalist and being Zionist is like a valid uh, identity. You know, yeah, and it, and it's funny you don't even. They probably don't necessarily, a lot of people who are that don't even call it that because it's almost like, you know, back to Mark Fisher, it's, well, I don't want to overuse it, but there is an element of that that's like capitalism, realism. Yeah. This is it. Like, yeah, this is you'll, it. You'll, like, no say you'll, yeah. you'll tell to, if you talk to certain immigrants uh, that you know, uh, and not the only generation of your parents, but even your generation, yeah. your like childhood friends, if you describe them to their face that there's some kind of like, let's say, rabid Jewish nationalist, they would be, I think, even surprised because. The, that just the, the outlook yeah it's not like what other kind of identity can you possibly have as a Jew yeah, yeah and also yeah. what do you mean why is it like such a specific name you're just, you're just a Jew why shouldn't you be for other Jews and for a Jewish state it right yeah, yeah. It's like it's, so I think it's almost like back to you, you asked about Sinyavsky how he ended up and I don't know how he felt by the end of his life you know in Paris yeah. but this actually lucky those who turned uh, to Jewish nationalism in Soviet Union um, even if it was part of the ideological campaign of America yeah. to radicalize Jews or a campaign of Israel to radicalize Jews in the end like it was lucky for them because as you say even till now like 30 40 years later more it's a valid valid thing yeah. uh, probably for younger people it's a bit harder if you really look at Israel it depends, but, it depends yeah. but not for everyone so it's yeah. a valid thing so it's almost like um, when you say not you're not jealous but you kind of describe this like simplistic worldview yeah. it's really helpful to have that yeah. If that's what you're looking for, simplicity, right? 
No, and it's in, yeah, exactly. And you know what's interesting? Like speaking of the different nationalisms and the sort of the because I mean that's what that's kind of what happened. You know, I mean the, towards the, when like the kind of the Soviet Union started sort of I don't know I, I don't believe in a spirit, but like you know I don't know like spiritually sort of started to disintegrate and um, like and people started looking for alternative identities. Yeah. Already you know in the sixties and the seventies. Um, like you know people went wherever they could you know it's like whatever was natural to them based on you know the different and it really was a kind of splitting into nationalisms with the kind of I mean, Russian Orthodoxy I bet you has like an probably has like a Russian nationalist dimension to it yeah and so but regardless of that like and with, you know, it's, I've been reading some memoirs of um, various um, Soviet dissidents or like Zionist activists or whatever, refuseniks, however you want to call them. Um, and it's funny, like I've already seen a number of times where they talk about being very friendly with um, other nationalists. So like you have a, basically a Jewish, you know, a Zionist, a person who wants to immigrate to Israel, who's like curious about their Jewish religion and really believes in the state of Israel, you know, going to the camps, being sentenced to like five years for like, you know, their sort of anti-state activity because of their Zionist uh, organizing with, and they're like in in the, in prison essentially and like they're there with other nationalists so they're like you ukrainian nationalists lithuanian nationalists and like even some fascists you know like some german I, there was one guy who was writing a memoir there, there's actually some still there were some german um, prisoners left over <laughs> from like world war ii and they were like they're they're nazis you know and they were like all they're all friendly because they like first of all they're all anti-soviet and second of all like they all had a shared identity of nationalism they you know the ukrainians even though the ukrainians you know believed in like the basically a kind of a fascism you know and you know the, the people who they respected you know the kind of the the ideologues of, of, of Ukrainian nationalism, you know, basically wanted to exterminate the Jews or, and participated in the extermination of the Jews. Soviet Jews who were Zionists could get along with Ukrainian nationalists, you know? And uh, and it's and it kind of makes sense. So like, again, there's this, the splintering of the Soviet's identity and into these kinds of nationalisms. And, you know, again, the, Jew, the Jewish nationalism is just, was just one of the many that was happening at the time. And, and so, um, you know, it'd be interesting. I mean, I wonder, like, if whatever, you know, it's these counterfactuals are kind of yeah. always problematic because, you know, it's stupid to think that way. But, like, I, I mean, it'd be, be, be interesting to know if, like, if, let's say, the Soviet Union didn't have, like, didn't go on this downward trajectory um, in the way that it did. You know, these counterfactuals are kind of bullshit to do. You know, it's like, what would have happened if something else But I wonder if, you know, Zionism and sort of this Israeli project to um, ignite... Um, a Jewish nationalist identity among Soviet, Soviet Jews would actually have been as, as effective if people still believed in the, in the Soviet, Soviet project. project. And Probably like, not. And, and not just believed, but also like would have benefited from that society more because yeah. they clearly those who turned they were disillusioned well they were disillusioned but they were disillusioned not because of materialist reasons you know I mean that's the thing so okay like one of the one of this I think that was an element it, not, it was no, a, it's not everything I know but it is an element it was an element but I think it was not like especially in like the, the early like hardcore Yaakov Kadmino I mean and there are a lot of early um, um, dissidents who were not really I mean like they of course look all Jews in the Soviet Union felt that they were, you know, the anti-Semitism. It, sure. just, it was just there in the background. I mean, not all Jews, but most. Sure. And especially like the ones that were a bit older, they would even, you know, Yaakov Kedmi, who's like now a Putin, a Putinist, a total Putinist United Russia guy. It's actually pretty funny. But um, he, you know, talked about how he, when he was a kid, he even remembered his, when like the, 
when Stalin was in the very last years of his Stalin's life and the whole like you know the doctor's plot and all the stuff that there was he remembers in school kids talking about how the Jews killed Stalin or trying to kill Stalin and how he was thought as a kid that he didn't want Stalin to die because he didn't want to be blamed for it and all this stuff it's kind of funny <laughs> I mean so you know there's the traumatic elements of anti-semitism that like that most Jews experienced, experienced yeah. and carried around with them and but those traumatic elements didn't necessarily pr- limit their material well-being in the sense that like you know you know Kedmi you know he uh, went no, to the university I, but I don't wanted, argue I said just an element an element because you element. know that a lot of people who did move especially to Israel they I think I mean he just stands out yeah a lot of them were economic refugees as well yes. and if Russians were allowed to move somewhere they would move too I'm not saying just the Jews yeah. it's just like the Jews as a group were allowed to leave yeah. Yeah. so it was like economic element was huge was generally huge. for immigration generally and, throughout and, it, yes and, but I'd you say know? like in the first in the first wave in the very first wave like they were ideological it was ideological I mean they were nationalists I mean they were, they were a minority because after them and they kind of like op- helped sort of open the gates yeah. and then there came the kind of the more people who were you know it's a, it's a mixture of things so it's like yeah they yeah. have like 20% you know nationalism or identity and, and you know 80% you know uh, uh, look trying to seek a better future for themselves Which and their families normal yeah um, but like the early ones and the ones that really, I think, you know, if you read the histories of, of this movement, it's like they're the ones who are given all the space. No, for sure. Because they're like the, they're the prisoners of Zion, as they used to, you know, they called them here. You mm-hmm. know, they would have, you know, these Jewish activists here in America would, you know, print these uh, posters with, with their faces and it would be like prisoner of Zion and like, you know, show them behind bars and, you know, agitate for their release. But, but you know, like... So they, no, but they just finished. And so they were, they were ideological and like they were, it was like they got almost like, you know, some people get it's like seeing the light. It's like you're walking down the street and you and you're like something happens and you're like suddenly realize that God is in everything and um, you are God's creature and then Jesus and then you need to put you know accept Jesus and let Jesus into your heart and all this stuff and then you become a Christian. You know, like a, almost like a born again um, conversion, mystical conversion process. But I understand the yeah. religious element. It's and still so a bit were, confusing but, to me. Yeah. Those who had that kind of experience but not through the religion but just purely yeah. their blood their ethnicity but it's a, but it's a type I, of religion yeah. no yeah. just saying that, that yeah. is a bit surprising I, again since I heard of even like of those people who like turned super religious and my dad's friend and yeah. moved to Israel it's one thing but what you're describing is a bit still confusing to me I get it nationalism is a kind of a version of a religion yeah. but it just I don't know it's the somehow, belief that you're part of this bigger or- organism but it's like yeah. even crazy it's blood it's like literally yeah, blood. Yeah, and, and, and there's it's yeah. some kind of dune. It's like <laughs> you know, it's like sci-fi. But it, but it's sort of. I mean, it's it's like it's it's funny that you don't understand it because it's like. I mean, I'm. It's a I little don't bit, have it. It's a little bit alien to me too. But it's like that's the dominant ideology yeah, today. Like, yeah, just uh, that, that's kind of fitting. Uh, just to reiterate, I think like th- those Jews and non-Jews generally, but Jews especially who did turn to Russian Orthodox and let's say remained in, in Russia or yeah, mostly let's say remained in Russia and even prospered potentially yeah. and lived through both Soviet Union and New Russia, identify as like Russians and uh, like Christians. I think it's like makes also used to say how Jews definitely makes a lot of sense i agree but makes a lot of sense for jews to <laughs> to take and probably not even cynically the religion of their 
I don't know, motherland of their society, of their society to fit in better. And you don't necessarily, again, it's not all, it's not because I know people who like really believe they're not like obsequiously trying to fit in with the Slavs. Yeah. They just think they're, they go to church, they believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, and um, I totally that, agree with that you. makes a lot of sense too, because again, I don't think I can turn into some kind of Russian Orthodox person if I, even if I live in Russia. But if you're there, it sort of makes a lot of sense. Totally. And how different it is from, you know, from those other conversions you describe they're, but they're not and I think that what you're saying is yeah exactly and I think there's um, a mutual appreciation between all the different nationalists and the different Russian Orthodox people and you know that they're, they, they're on the same footing you know in today's Russia like I, I come back to this guy named Yakov Kedmi I mean who um, who was an early dissident who renounced his Soviet citizenship when he was 19. He like kept sneaking into the, into the Israeli embassy and he was finally kind of kicked out of the Soviet Union and went to Israel um, I think it was like 1968. Yeah. And he and he became a hardcore secular Zionist in, in Israel, um, rose up through the ranks, political ranks, and actually and in, in the end ended up heading um, th- uh, the secret agency called Nativ that was responsible for agitating, um, f- you know, a, f- in, in the Soviet Union among Soviet Jews to, you know, to rekindle uh, Jewish nationalism. So he, like the, the agency that helped kind of like... Li- liberate him or indoctrinated him with Jewish nationalism when he was a kid in the Soviet Union, he would later, you know, decades later, basically headed that same agency. So he had like a huge career. No, but what's interesting about him is that he's a total Jewish nationalist. He's hardcore, like far right Israeli nationalist. And he fits in totally well with today's uh, Russia. He's constantly on Russian television, you know, like sort of, uh, you know, pushing the like the kind of Putin line, uh, the sort of Putin nomenclatura line, um, you know, on panels with, you know, Russian Orthodox people with Russian nationalists, you know, kind of over the Putin, over the Putin kind. And so they fit right in. There's no like, so the society that the, the Soviet Union disintegrated in is a society of these different nationalisms, right? And, and the kind of, and, and the sort of different religions and there's no, they're all kind of together in the end. And so even though, it's interesting, even though like Russia and Ukraine, Whatever you know, Russia might be against the Ukrainian nationalists or whatever the propaganda. In reality, the, like there is no other ideology. There's a kind of a there's a kind of a religious nationalism that exists, and that's what Russia is. And, and it's right wing, and, and it, it. yeah, it's right wing, and so and like Putin is definitely not left wing. Just to <laughs> hello, Jimmy Dore. <laughs> it's Jimmy Dore. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I think that name is you, you can't utter those the name on this on the show. Um, no profanity here. I'm just kidding. Um, there's a mutual respect and appreciation between all the different nationalisms because even though they might, you know, there might be some hatred between them and like, you know, the Ukrainian nationalists, um, they might not like the Jewish influence in it, in Ukraine necessarily, but they actually are very much in awe of the Israeli project and what Israel has done, you know, created a pure Jewish state. But still, like the ones who turn to Jewish nationalism, what what the hell is behind them? So they their mother tongue is Russian. They let's say move to Israel. What do they do? They still read and write. Like I like basically, what do they get out of that other culture they moved themselves to? What they like uh, is it very vibrant and rich, and they fit in there, and they see themselves as what is like Hebrew Jews. I'm just wondering what what is yeah. that? Because the Russian thing, I'm not I'm not defending Russian national. But at least from, I guess, it's the experience of my family and just generally the circle of people of different ages that I know, and they're not Jewish nationalists, is that they kind of see Russian culture as their own, yeah. rightly so. And they're comfortable in them. That is their mother tongue. And it is their mother tongue of their parents and all that. And there's like a tradition of some sort. And 
obviously there's a lot of anti-Semitism there and it somehow frequently can be looked upon with a certain, I don't know, like kind of humorous attitude because it is like totally like normal but also the Russian culture has not just anti-Semitism but also a lot of anti I don't know other ethnicities made fun of if they're not Slav and that's like also Jewish uh, Russian Jews uh, will make fun of other ethnicities and the the Russian ones too and the the Slavs so anyway everyone is like a bit uh, what do you call it xenophobic and there are a lot of like different jokes and there are a lot of different like minor I don't know offensive discriminations I don't know whatever my point I want to make is that the Jewish nationalists kind of like break with their Russian culture yet they have no, nothing else so I don't know what they what are they actually replacing it with well I mean I, I, get, I would imagine you know uh, that they replace you know? it with um, they replace it with look you know Israel and Zionism is a very specific project to kind of create a, a a Jewish identity, an eternal Jewish identity that never existed. Yeah, there was a religion, but then a lot of Jews were not Zionists at all. So no. that kind of identity they're trying to create is not this, necessarily even affirmed by the past. But all national, but all nationalisms are fictitious in a way. I mean, it's just that we the the, the, the nationalism that is fictitious that we see, you know, Judaism is very very new, and it's you know it gets a lot of attention. Um, you know, in terms of just like looking at it. And it's also kind of ridiculous. It's like you have all these Jews that come from all over Europe and suddenly they're saying this is our land, you know, a land that has no con- at all, you know, if it had any, any, any connection to them, it, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, thousands of years in the yeah, past. Yeah, and as and, you yourself get yes. super annoyed because it doesn't affect me the same the same way. When we were um, in Israel 2019 yeah. in Palestine, you were walking around Tel Aviv and like very, very angry with those like um, <laughs> kind of tanned white Jewish wrinkly grandpas. old people yeah. yeah and saying how the hell they belong here in the sun if they clearly yeah. look like they're not adjusting well to the sun no, they're, like, they're yeah. like they're like yeah, pink originally people. they should be pink pink people pretending to be you know Middle Eastern you they're know like, like half yeah. sunburned half yes. like wrinkled <laughs> like yeah hiding tanned. from the sun yeah it's no look I mean that, so so I think it's so I think the, the, the fictitious aspect of the Jewish nationalism is kind of more apparent but all nationalism is fictitious. I mean, you you have to create like a border around a certain type of people, but you know, people are, are intermixing all the time. There's move, population movements, and so you know, it's a very recent idea to have a. I mean, there's like tr- there's different groupings of different. You know? I know, just so, again, like we like we do we got playing whatever. What do you call it? I'm just kind Devil's of advocate. a bit like I'm just doing it on purpose. But I just want to again introduce it as a second kind of other experience. What about the fact that uh, like let's say um from like I guess it's my uncle would, would mention that story um, at some point uh, he was already an adult he would meet uh, this like um, Russian Russian professor that I think would rent some kind of like room is it from his family I don't know there was some kind of like uh, living arrangement and he would say whoa for the first time I met uh, a Russian person part of intelligentsia yeah. uh, that wasn't a joke he meant that everyone he knew who was part of intelligentsia or if it was like Moscow Circle were Jews yes uh, or intellectuals whatever who were like yes. PhDs or whatever, first time I read a Russian Russian intelligent uh, 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 what's uh, the translation you first know. time I met a Russian person Ethnic Russian, Russian intellectual. Uh, intellectual. <laughs> it's like whoa, like because real... all the Russian, inte- Russian intellectuals you actually knew before were Jews. I mean, that's your he, uncle. Yeah. That's my uncle, and I, it's like a, he's so not a it, jokester. Yeah. It's like a real experience. So, what are you like actually saying? Okay, there's horrible anti-Semitism. Fine, like all this, like you can't enter certain universities. It's not of, really that horrible, but yeah, go ahead. I, I, that's all <laughs> I'm saying. And then all the members, majority of the members of um, what are called professions of intelligence, intellectuals, also a lot of doctors and all that. 
that they're Jews. So yeah. what do you say? Philosophers like um, yeah. obviously the anti-Semitism that people experience. My point is that yeah. they are the Russians. Yes. <laughs> so the Russians. So my and my uncle wasn't being like anti-Slav xenophobe. Yeah. I think he was just kind of factually describing his experience and wasn't again at yeah. all anti-Slav by describing that Russian person he met as for the first time like Wolf striking him as an intellectual. I think it's like factual description. So all I'm saying that there are this like weird realities that we inhabit yes. and it's so different. No, and it's and it's and there's yeah, it's it's hard to make sense of it. I mean, I, look, I, I mean, we can probably close this off. Look, yeah. the, I mean, the, the 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 closest thing that I can sort of I mean, the, the way that I've I see these like conversions from you know basically soviet identity to jewish nationalism or some kind of other kind of nationalism is, is almost look it's a it's a kind of a religious um process a religious conversion process where suddenly like things fall into place for you suddenly the things about your identity and about the world suddenly there's first of all you kind of understand who you are you understand your place in the world you understand that there's a mission for you that's greater than you um, you understand it explains why maybe you've been unhappy all these years and what's going on you know like why you have been feeling fully self-fulfilled I mean when you realize that there's a nation that there's a project that there is a people that you know that you fit into organically that this story goes back time immemorial and and that actually there is a maybe you know if you're religious there's a religious dimension to it all or there's an actual you're cho- one of the chosen people you have a you're marked by God to for a special mission in this in this universe blah, blah. I mean like it's really a, I, I, I don't think you can talk about it rationally. I mean, so just some people don't have that religious experience for whatever reason, for maybe the way that they're made, uh, the way that they're, you know, the way that they're, the way that things just, you know, the, their personality type and, you know, the, their position in the world are kind of the things that they already believe in. But, but like, but I think an important part, aspect, a point I want to make is like, yeah, that this is, what happened to Jew, Jews in the Soviet Union and this conversion to Zionism, I mean, really was, um, I don't know, like, a, it, 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 I don't think the origins were the anti, anti-Semitism that they experienced. It was something deeper than that. I mean, it was an aspect of it, but like the actual, it was an actual, suddenly you belong to, some, to something rather than being part of this kind of gray Soviet citizenry that... In a, in a part of a country, society that you don't really believe in, and no one really is. If a few people believe in the actual tenets and, and the, the the dreams of the society and sort of the what it, what the society tells itself, no one really believes it anymore. So you got to believe in something, and along comes this belief system that sort of fits with you organically. My question and you is, and would Berezovsky ever convert to this? No. Would Berezovsky? <laughs> Well, I mean, if you thought... I think it's like a I'll bit of a dispossessed. I'll, I'll it's a conversion you. of the dispossessed. Yeah. I see it as that way. Majority. But I mean, what if you're like super young and you you have a whole career in front of you and you're like 19, but you figure out... That's like, Yaakov Kadmi. It's yeah. very rare. Yeah. No? I don't know. Like or, 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 or religious... I mean, I don't know. There's a religious component to it. I don't know. They're like... They're like... They're like um, you know, Muchniki or something. I don't know. Like, they're like... Uh, they... I mean, I'll tell you this, if Berezovsky thought that he could make a lot, you know, because <laughs> Berezovsky has one religion, right? Money. Money and success. 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 And so, like, if he thought that Zionism, whatever, being like a Jewish nationalist and, like, becoming a dissident and, like, doing a, would, like, shoot him up into sort of the stratosphere and make him, you know, whatever, rich and famous, he would do it. He so, I mean, I think Berezovsky is, is a particular guy. He's a, he's a con man who wants just... 
Like he was just looking out for success. That's his, that's his God. Yeah, and and by the way, before striking rich, I don't know if people, everyone knows. Like in the yeah. West, he was definitely uh, kind of like gearing towards um, winning Nobel Prize. Yeah. But he knew he's not smart enough as a mathematician. That's why. But he was a great manager. So he was organizing yeah. already at his uh, Naukshin Institute, what they call Scientific Research University. Yeah. He was trying to organize a group of smarter people than he is. But he would be on top of them, managing them, and they would to get the Nobel Prize. So they would work as a team to get the Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a joke. It's That's what fun. he was planning before he realized he can make money. He's a good manager. He manages and he's, he's got ambition. So, yeah. So I think like, you know, look, successful Jewish people. I don't know. Yeah. It's like Berezovsky be a national nationalist. Yes. If he, if he thought he could be a multimillionaire being an, a Jewish, being a Zionist. Yeah. yeah why not? Yeah, that so is I, true. I mean, people, look, people have different, uh, like. That's true. Incl- just different inclinations. Yeah, I mean, it's not some, for some people, money isn't important, you know? For some people, the idea is important. Like, feeling, the, belonging to something bigger than themselves. A mission in life, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, for those people, I think it's natural. So, yeah. All I said when I, I don't know, about the dispossessed, it's actually, I'm not arguing against, yes, the ideas are important, but they, when I say that the majority were dispossessed, for them, it wasn't about ideas. Yeah. For the dispossessed, it's purely economical. Yes. From, but they would take the idea and say, yeah, this, that's what we yes. are. But they actually just, it, rightly so, worry yes. about their economic situation. No, that's, uh, that that's is all a, I'm saying. That is a huge part of, uh, part of the process. I mean, part of the conversion process, obviously. Because you, yeah. Yeah, what the majority no, not going to be yeah. some kind of like hardcore. But, yeah, of course. No, no. That's. I mean, the look. There's always the minor, my, there's always a small minority that sort of blazes the path forward, that's lit up by ideas rather than you know more by ideas and some sort of. I mean, a religious awakening. I mean, I don't know yeah. how else to put it. I mean, I just. Well, it's actually almost similar, like, because the Russian Revolution was definitely the leaders of that were, you know, highly idealistic, Lenin included, religious thinkers. And the majority of the people who were actually then active later on and even toppling them, they're just like materialistic, what do you call, Philistines, uh, opportunists. Or just, yeah, climbers, yeah. Climbers. People of the system who want, like... No, just climbers. They want things and they want power and that's it. And they don't really care what you call it. Yeah. Russian Empire. Into the Komsomol, into the Communist Party, to because you believe in the ideals, you know. Although you might no. convince yourself you believe in it, no, but like but you really minority. because that's the, the way the way to become successful. Yeah. Those people, the idealists, they opened the gates for the climbers to and they created the system. Yeah. And created the system to climb. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I guess it's not you know it's clearly not that um, uncommon. So, yeah. Okay, so let's just uh, we I finish think that's, here. That's it. And we'll be back next week. Next week. Oh, yeah, right. We'll try to do weekly from yeah, now Yeah, let's say we'll be coming. So, here. actually, next week going to be super interesting. Yeah, I have my dad on talking about um, American films in the Soviet Union and how they affected him. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. Um, see you. See ya. American boy, American joy, American-